Hi everyone, this is Criterion Channel Surfing, and I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Just a quick note before we begin today's show. Over the past two months, many of the gains that I had been making in my health recovery hit some new setbacks, with an additional trip to the emergency room and some flare-ups of old symptoms. This has made the editing more difficult and delayed the episode you're about to hear much longer than I had hoped. Still, I think the conversation between Michael Hutchins and I that you're about to hear is really worth sharing, and it covers some fantastic film recommendations, so I really do hope you find some value in this discussion. I'm learning that this health recovery is not a straight line, that there are many peaks and valleys along the way. I really love doing this podcast and having the opportunity to participate in these fantastic conversations with my guests. And I really appreciate your support and your patience as my health continues to make the planning, the recording, and the editing process go much slower than I would like. I'll be putting out new episodes as I'm able, and I really look forward to surfing the Criterion channel with you over the months to come. Thanks for listening, everyone. And now, here's the show. You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, The Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Friend of the show, Michael Hutchins, joins me today to talk about films in the Criterion Channel's permanent collection. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, make sure to check out The Robert Taylor Odyssey a blog written by Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor takes you along for a journey into his cinematic obsessions, from the Criterion Collection in Film Noir to the films of Akira Kurosawa and the American Film Institute's Top 100. Find out more at therobertaylorodyssey.wordpress.com. Criterion Cast a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is friend of the show, Michael Hutchins. Michael, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining me here at the end of February to talk about the permanent collection. I felt like it was uh, a good time. We hadn't really done a uh, an actual discussion of the permanent streaming only library in quite some time. So I thought this was a good time to to dig into that again. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Josh. I was looking back on our Skype call records, and I noticed it was in September, which is six months ago. So yeah. some of the films that started on the channel six months ago that have the six-month licenses are now expiring. <laughs> so so I know right. a, a certain group of films that I really spoke about then, I'm going to kind of gloss over now because um, people can just go back and listen to that September episode. But, uh, right. but there are other things we're going to talk about, expiring films as well. That's right. Uh, I, so, you know, for our, our listeners at home, uh, you know, what have you been up to lately? What are what things have been going on in your world? And what are some of the things that have been getting you excited in the world of film lately? Well, yeah, well, 
it's about all about film, I suppose. You know, still <laughs> still kind of hanging around the house every now and then, being able to to go out with friends and family. We're all we're all vaxxed and boosted, and so uh, we're okay as far as you know that front goes. But uh, watching a lot of films mainly by myself, I've still not entered into a theater. In fact, my Facebook mm-hmm. uh, memories popped up the other day, and I realized that was it was uh, when I went to see Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. That was the last mm. film I saw in the theater, and that was in February of 2020. And that was my really my second viewing of it because I saw it in November and then again in February. But that's it. Haven't been watching anything uh, on the screen, but I've been watching on my television, catching up on some of the 2021 films and the new films that were added to the channel in February. You know, it's the the way we're doing things. You know, I know <laughs> I've been it. doing. I've been doing a lot of catching up on some screeners and just started my Oscar run last night. My wife and mm-hmm. I started uh, doing a, f- a handful of the last few Oscar films before the Oscars at the end of uh, March. And uh, yeah, you know, it's that that final push, right, to right. try to get in the last of the, the 2021 <laughs> releases that are finally making their way to streaming, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we can't be the person who... who when the award is announced saying that's the one I didn't see, you know, yep, exactly. but this year we have a, exactly. a fuller slate than we had in the past. I think they they filled up all 10 slots in there uh, yep. as far as the best film category goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we're just going to kind of briefly touch on the uh, films that came out in uh, February, but you know, when you looked over the list of films that came out this month, uh, what were some of your thoughts as you looked at the lineup? I noticed the channel uh, loaded a lot of films by black filmmakers, but they didn't mm-hmm. emphasize that fact. And so I, mm. I think they want us to realize these are filmed by filmmakers we think you should see. We're not doing it because it's February. It's not arbitrary. We're going to give you a bundle of films about the roots of reggae music. You know, We're, go- we're going to give you the, yeah. the, the films of, of Rosalind Mabakum. And and so it's like, you know, th- this is this should be routine routine. We shouldn't be saying this is something special because it, these are filmmakers who are making great films, you know. So that, yeah. that was one of the first things that jumped out at me. And then, uh, of course, a, a lot of films by by female uh, directors, which is kind of like uh, the world I kind of try to go into as much as I can as possible. Yeah. How about you? Was there anything that stood out? Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, again, the wealth of film and, you know, they they keep adding so many great works that span the gamut. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're right that they they chose to to add so many films by black filmmakers and you know, while they say, you know, let's celebrate Black History Month with this, they're not, they're not just doing, doing this, you know, they have been adding more films by black filmmakers throughout the, the year. And, and yet, I mean, this is just such a stellar lineup. They are, you know, adding one of my favorite documentarians from the last few years uh, on here. They're, really uh, digging into so many different corners of black cinema 
from classic cinema to reggae cinema to bringing us that Van Peebles box set to uh, yeah. bringing us some experimental cinema. I mean, this to me is just a, a one of the the most comprehensive. We're, we're getting such a a really uh, an interesting breadth of, of of different black filmmakers' voices, and I think that is really really compelling. Yeah, we're seeing the diversity within that group as well. So it's it's yeah. it's it's a matter of not grouping them all together. You know, you got of course yeah. as you like, you got the experimental shorts of people like Kevin Jerome Everson and Ulysses yeah. Jenkins, and then you you've got those documentaries made by Stanley Nelson that he did for yeah. I think for PBS, uh, some of yeah. the series he did for those, and then you know you, you've got filmmakers from Africa, and then of course you know the great Melvin Van Peebles. I'm not sure if we're going to specifically talk about one of his films. It wasn't on one of our lists, but I can say now that I want people to watch Don't Play as Cheap. That was the one surprise mm. film that was in that box that just blew me away because it was it mm. was something I never would have expected from, from Van Peebles. You know, I, I knew that he was into music. I knew that he, he had written a couple of plays and actually written the songs for the plays. But But there was something special about Don't Play as Cheap that really made that one of the outstanding films in the box. And, it's, of course, it's not the most most popular one i'm probably is the least well known of all the films in there yeah but uh that's what's the greatness of of criterion's choices whenever they uh created that box and they're they're all on the channel this month uh the only one that's not permanent is watermelon man and that will uh probably leave in a few months but the rest of them are um janice licensed titles so they Mm -hmm. so they're going to jump on to the uh permanent uh library that's great well, Michael, what uh, out of the 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 new films? What has really stood out to you? Uh, is something that has gotten you really excited as you've been digging into the films? Uh, the one, the film that I want to speak of tonight, it just it just surprised me from the start and 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 all the way through into the very last frame. It's a film by Caterina Vasconcelos. She's a Portuguese director. In fact, this was her debut film. Uh, came out in twenty twenty. And uh, it's one of those documentaries that is personal, and it's uh, sometimes it, it's uh, recreation. It's about the history of her family, starting back to her great, uh, to her grandparents, and how uh, and her father's life, growing up with her his father with his father hardly ever being at home because he was a sailor, and uh, of course he did came home long enough to have six children so so i suppose he, he wasn't at sea all the time but uh mm-hmm. i love the way the way it's filmed uh, all, the only film i can think of that actually is that i can compare it to is uh sergey parjanov's uh the color of pomegranates mm. because uh the camera at certain times it's 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 only still images and then sometimes of course it's moving images and then there's times where these you cre- she creates these tableau where you have movement but and then static images and it, and it's just extraordinary you know almost every shot you know I've said this about color pomegranates but you could you could frame it that that's that's how beautiful it looked and the story was very 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 good you know it was very personal and uh it was mainly about each of them each both her and her father her father wasn't still involved in it but he lost his mother about the same age as she she was the filmmaker when she lost her mother and so they had that connection but I, I, I really recommend it. She had to create certain fictions in the uh, from this history because uh, 
as we discover later on in the film, and I hope I'm not spoiling it for, for someone who, who feels like they I sh- they shouldn't be saying this. You may want to skip ahead about 30 seconds. But uh, her her grandmother said that she did not want any of the letters that she wrote her husband, who was a sailor at sea, to survive after her. So when her grandmother died, all of the all of the letters were were burnt. So what Katerina had to do was kind of recreate a history. By inventing a past, you're really uh, saying that the fiction of the past can be just just as meaningful, or maybe even more so than reality, because yeah. she, she she finds that truth even though it's nonfiction. But because the facts aren't there, she has to kind of fill, fill them in. But uh, but I highly recommend that. That's the Metamorphosis of Birds by Katerina yeah. Vasconcelos. Have you seen it? I have not seen it, but that sounds really gorgeous. And yeah. uh, it sounds like the type of documentary that I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds gorgeous. So yeah. uh, thanks for that recommendation. I'm going to have to hop on that. When I saw that the films of Rosine Mbakum were added to the uh, the channel this month, I was really, really excited. She's a filmmaker that I discovered two years ago. I did a, I did a dive into her first two films. And then, uh, the end of last year, I watched her most recent film, Delphine's prayers. And, uh, I had heard about her when I did the, the interview with the, the founder of Ovid TV. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that got me really curious about her work. And uh, I've been really captivated by her films and her filmmaking. And I'm really excited that Criterion's going to be introducing her work to more people because I think that uh, she uh, is a really unique voice in documentary cinema. I think she, uh, her films are simple, but I think that the simplicity is, I, I think that there is a, uh, a formalism to especially her most recent films, uh, Chez Jolet Coiffaire and Delphine's Prayers, that um, I think is really easy to miss if you're not, if you're just focusing on the subject matter. Mm. Because uh, what she does in both of those films is to really carefully just situate her camera in one location in both films and uh, never, never have her camera leave that location and keep it fixed. That does move, move and we get some room pans, uh, but she uses the camera in some really fascinating ways to anchor it as she just listens to the stories of uh, women from the African uh, diaspora living in uh, the West and uh, relating their experiences of uh, immigrating to uh, foreign countries and the struggles that they face, the racism they face, the the challenges of living sometimes as an undocumented immigrant, sometimes uh, uh, living with the under the shadows of racism i mean it, these are these are really really just compelling films uh the the stories that are being told uh and again the the rigid formalism of the way her camera works i think is really compelling as well 
I think she is uh, just a masterful filmmaker that is, uh, I, I hope more people pay attention to her work. And I think her first film, uh, The Two Faces of a Bamaleke Woman, is really uh, also fascinating in the ways that she is wrestling with going back to her home country and trying to understand the the space that she has to navigate uh, being married to a white European man with the privilege that she now has and going back home to her home country in Africa and mm-hmm. understanding that she operates in a different space now. Her films are really reflective and really incredibly gorgeous to and, and really thoughtful. So uh, I, mm-hmm. I highly, highly recommend her films. And I, I double that recommendation. I second it. I, I've only saw Shea uh, Jolie Coiffer and Delphine's mm-hmm. Prayers. Uh, I haven't saw the first one yet. But uh, in fact, I was going to choose choose those films as, as my recommendation until I saw them <laughs> come up on your list. But yeah, uh, they're wonderful. They remind me a lot of the films of the Chinese filmmaker who made Oxhide about where how she places mm, her camera yeah. and how yeah. she allows her, her subjects to speak and kind of yeah. kind of guiding them in a certain way in a certain you know particularly Daphne's prayers it's it it's yeah. it's compelling but it's heartbreaking and and yeah. uh and then in, in Shea Jolie you uh you hear Sabine the the lady who owns the shop and she tells a story about a, a certain girl she knows a certain young woman who leaves up Cameroon and goes to Lebanon because she has some contract to be a maid or, or a housekeeper and then how she has to make her way after two years and having her passport taken away from her and having to go through Turkey and Greece and almost by foot go all the way to Belgium. And it's not until later in the film, you realize she's speaking of herself mm-hmm. and that was, that's really her story. But somehow when the film starts, she, she felt she wasn't comfortable, I suppose, in front of the camera. So she, she kind of put everything to the third person and then you realize yeah. that eventually she 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 becomes, you know, more used to the film director, and, and she's able to open herself and tell tell her story. But they're they're wonderful films, and I I with you I recommend them. Yeah, I'm really excited about these. I'm very excited too. To uh, she has another film on Ovid that she co-directed with two other African women, and it looks at the the camera itself. And the ways that the camera is not attuned toward black skin. It's called prisms. And it looks at, in some ways, the, the idea of, of the, the racism that is embedded in so many of the, the, the mechanics of filmmaking. Yeah. And uh, so I think this is, it's a, it sounds like a really compelling work um, that... I'm I'm really excited to see see more of what she does, and I think I think that uh, Africa is producing some really compelling film uh, filmmakers that are documenting uh, their countries and uh, are telling the stories of their their countries in some really vibrant and really compelling ways, especially this this new generation of African storytellers. I'll have to check that out. I just recently subscribed to Ovid, and so I'll, I'll look for that title. It sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Well, 
as I always say, Criterion giveth and Criterion taketh away. <laughs> and uh, this this month, it, it, you know, we're not losing a, as many. It doesn't feel like we're losing as many titles. Uh, in Michael, fact, you, uh, almost, almost the half the keeper. amount we lost in January. <laughs> That's so, good. Yeah. That's a nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it fell from 107 titles that left in January and 56 in February. So, yeah, that was that was nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's very that's very that's much more doable for those who are trying to 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 see everything. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> well, Michael, what has stood out to you out of the films that are leaving the channel this month? Okay, I'm gonna have to go 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 to an oldie goldie. It's one of my favorite films of all time. If you know me on Letterbox and you know that they they ask you to choose your four favorite films, The Magnificent Ambersons is my is my four one of my four favorite films of all time. I thought twice mm. about doing this or the Jia Zhangke bundle of mm, parts that are yeah. leaving, but I spoke so much about them when they first came to the <laughs> channel back in September. You know, you, you need to see those. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. they they are going to be uh, there are they are staying on canopy. So yes. our so our listeners who who want to see those Jia Zhangke film that's leaving to uh, jump over to canopy if your library that you subscribe to them. But going back to the film I want uh, to recommend before it leaves is The Magnificent Emerson, of course, Orson Welles' second feature, uh, 1942. You know, at this point, you know, he'd had all the success with Citizen Kane, and he, then he was he was giving, given another chance to make another film. And then, uh, well, don't need to go into the background about what happened to that. But the point is, you know, despite all, all the, the things that supposedly happened to it, well, actually did happen to it, what am I saying? Uh, it's still it's still a wonderful film, and it's it's uh, speaks so much to to uh, Orson Welles and his his life. When you think about it, I can see why he was so drawn to Booth Tarkenton's novel, because mm. uh, he grew up uh, and his mother died when he was very young. His father was kind of neglectful, and he pretty much grew up on his own. I don't know if that led to him being such a genius as far as everything he ever touched. But I think at a certain point, it all had to come to to an end. And of course, the American, the whole idea of the American dream is that we can we're going to build you up until we until we can you know kick you down. And that's what that's what happens in the novel as well. You find there's a, a young man of privilege who, who who finally gets to the point where he needs his comeuppance. And I think uh, Hollywood felt the same thing about Orson Welles. Maybe they were jealous. Maybe there's there's just things about his personality that irked a lot of people, a lot of people in power. But uh, this film was was edited, very heavily edited, and some films, some parts of it was refilmed in order to to make a little sense of an ending there. But we can't regret what we don't have. I mean, we can regret, mm-hmm. but but we we have to look at what we've got, and what we've got is a great film, a magnificent film. So yeah, so see that film before it leaves the channel. Yeah. And and yeah. if and if and if this airs after. The film left at the end of February, since this is a short month. But uh, <laughs> pick pick up the uh, Criterion disc. You know, it, yeah. it's it's amazing. I mean, it it has so much stuff on there about the history of the film that I I can't say in these in these few minutes here. But it, it it's a it's a wonderful film, and and you should have you should have it on your shelf. Yeah, and it is a gorgeous package. The yeah, the Criterion is. release is yeah. really gorgeous. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to recommend the film Too Late to Die Young by mm-hmm. Domingo Sotomayor. This is one I actually just watched today. Uh, oh, no. I was as I was looking for films to recommend because this is a there's just not as many films that are 
leaving the channel this month and I could have gone with some old standbys that I know and that I've recommended, but I wanted to explore and expand some of my horizons as well. I thought this was a really lovely, lovely film about a artist's commune or an, an intentional community just outside of Santiago in Chile. It's about the the different families and the different ways that they relate to one another. And it's especially about one teenage girl as she is really desperate to leave. She doesn't want to be there anymore. She is growing up. She is looking to join her mother who has left the, the community, who has become a more famous singer. and she keeps trying to find a way to to get out and her mother has been invited to join the the community for new years and so she thinks that when her mother comes for new year's she's going to be able to go and leave with her mother and uh, it's a film about disappointment it's a film about kind of dashed hopes uh it's a film about the ways that uh, we grow up, uh, the ways that that the the people that we put our trust in fail us. It's it's a film about the the changing nature of community as well, and uh, the the kind of the shattering of of our our illusions. And uh, I I just I found this to be an absolutely captivating, really beautiful film that I found really gorgeous. And uh, I do hope that people will catch this film either while it's on the channel or if you miss it in February, uh, it will be on Canopy uh, after the fact. And uh, I think this is a, a really, a lovely film to to catch. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. It's also going to, it's also streaming on Ovid with several mm, of her yes. shorts. And, and, yeah. if, and if you just want a taste of her work, there's one called La Isla or The Island, which I recommend. And also another short that she did with uh, one of my favorite recent female directors from Spain, Carla Simone. They, they mm. did a film during the pandemic and it was like each of them would, would it's like letters going back and forth between Spain mm. and Chile. And it, it's a, it's a lovely, uh, lovely short film. That's that I great. recommend I'll as well. Check. On Ovid. I'll have yeah. to catch those. I'll yeah. have to catch that. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. It's on Mubi. I got, oh, I got them both. Okay, so nice. I always conf- sometimes nice. I confuse those two uh, <laughs> services. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the shorts are on Mubi. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, Michael, we're here to to really dig into the permanent streaming library because, you know, this is something that you and I have. Uh, been talking about since this podcast started, right? Uh, yeah, you know, this yeah. is this is something that I know that you and I have both been drawn to about the Criterion Channel. It's it's not just the the films that come and go each month, but it's you know this uh, this robust collection of films that Criterion may never get around to releasing on physical disc. And uh, it's this this digital presence that Criterion has created on the channel that is just really, really uh, exciting. Uh, yeah. All of these little corners and these these hidden gems. Um, and uh, you know, I just wanted to to talk about that a little bit. Um, 
we've talked about this before, but you know, it's it's been a while since we've really talked about the physical, uh, the permanent streaming library. Mm-hmm. What, you know, where, where, how did you first really become aware of the permanent streaming only library, the films that are only available on the channel that are only available there? You know, they're, they're part of the criterion channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're branded as criterion titles. Right, yeah. yeah. I, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I I was aware of of what I always call the Criterion Collection, which which it was always more than what they actually put out on disc or physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, this started back whenever on Hulu, because there were tons of films, like several hundred films, that we never knew was part of the Criterion Collection was ever yeah. was ever uh, licensed by them, mainly through through their sister company Janus. But it was it was around then, and then as 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 uh, as I kept learning about certain films coming and going, especially once it went into the filmstruck years, where they had their separate presence uh, away from the Turner section of the uh, the TCM section of the of the service, I was seeing the same things over and over. And then eventually, when they had their they created their own channel back in April of 2019, uh, at that point I had pretty much uh, c- come up with the idea or in my head had said, you know, these films are, are permanent. They're not, they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's after a few months of the current channel, when we realized that certain films that came one month would be leaving like within three or six months. And so uh, I think around that time is when you first started your podcast, I think it was around October or something of of 2019. And and by that point I'd already established because you can look at the patterns that develop over those first six months and see that certain films are going to stay there and certain films, you know, depending on who the distributor was, uh, will stay yeah. either three or six months, you know, with some rare ones in between there. Uh, and every once in a while, they'll mess me up by, by, by throwing a, a wrench into the works. And I have to uh, kind of rethink, was that really supposed to be permanent or was that was just something of that that they, they put the Criterion and Janus logo on? But they had sub-licensed it from a, from a company that did not give mm. them full streaming rights, and that's yeah. that's the question here is about whether even though it could be in the Criterion Collection, uh, they don't have streaming rights, and that's why we get these mm. Criterion editions several a month, sometimes two or three a month. Some of those become part of the permanent permanent collection. Some of them will will uh, be gone in three or six months because they're distributed by major studios or the or the big owners. So, for instance, uh, in in February we, we got we got that box set of the Melvin Van Peebles box, uh, Melvin Van Peebles films, and some of those were Janice, and uh, one of them were, was not. So that mm-hmm. so that was uh, I could determine which of those would be permanent on the channel and which ones would would leave. Uh, I was looking at my uh, spreadsheet now. I saw back when the when the current incarnation of the channel started back in April of 2019, there was a little over 1,400 permanent films were films that I call their permanent streaming library. And about 300 of them were uh, streaming only. Those were films that Mm -hmm. came from their Hulu and their Filmstruck days. And now here we are in February of 22, uh, almost three years later, and there's over 1,700 films. So that part of the library is, is, is been consistently growing, you know, sometimes four or five a month or sometimes, uh, as much as seven or eight a month. In the past year alone, we got over 60 new films in that library that are permanently streaming. And half of them are from uh, 
physical releases, and the other half are new films that are only that are streaming only. Yeah. In in fact, we're getting we're getting a a, a bundle of films by Kazuo Hara, the Japanese documentarian. Mm-hmm. We knew a few months ago that they were licensed by Janice because they showed up uh, in their catalog, their online catalog, but didn't know exactly uh, what Criterion was going to do with them. And at this point, uh, today it was announced that they would all those five films would be on the channel in March. That does, but that doesn't say that they're not going to also put it out on disc. You know, yeah. so I and so, but that's happened quite often that. Sometimes we'll see we'll see a film before they release it on disc, and sometimes it's months, or even sometimes it's like a decade later. There are there are films that were yeah. originally on Hulu that were per, that were only streaming, and it took took ten years well, ten years for them to actually get a physical release. You know, mm-hmm. like like Teorama, or Teorema, yeah. the Pasolini film. So. 1700 films that that people shouldn't shouldn't overlook you know and there's some great ones in there you know yeah yeah i mean that that's yeah. that, that's pretty un, under undercutting exactly the the worth of those films by saying you, you shouldn't overlook them but yeah the, there's some great films in that bunch yeah i remember first finding out about it when they did their partner with movie back when movie was the auteurs oh yes and they had the screening room there and and they were they were screening mainly you know titles that they had done physical releases of and i was like oh this is cool i'll i'll pay my little five because you could pay like a five dollar rental to see things and uh it was a cool little thing and then i could get a you could get a credit to to purchase the disc as well it was a Mm -hmm. it was a neat little way to to see films but then you also got the got access to a film. I remember Deep Crimson was the first time they had released something from their catalog that was not on disc, and it was such a it it just opened my my eyes to the fact that Criterion and Janice had all of these other films that were not not available in their physical collection and um, got me really excited about the the possibility of them having a uh, a library of other titles and then mm-hmm. you know again we have that progression of hulu to filmstruck to now the criterion channel and uh, what it's become now i think is is really exciting and again you know i think people get really distracted by all of the the coming and going titles and uh, there are so many really incredible works that just get buried uh, sometimes by all of the other things. And uh, I think it's it's really exciting to to shine a light on those other films as well, yeah. right? And you're and yeah. you're putting a spotlight on them. So that's that's yeah. That's that's what makes this uh, a very worthy podcast. Well, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, what what film would you like to highlight from the uh, permanent streaming library uh, today? Okay, uh, this was a film that was added a few months ago, and it was at part of a trio of films that was the first three feature films by Ruben Oslin, the Swedish director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he was very, he became very very well known when his film uh, Force Majeure won one of the major awards uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, the year it was presented there and he's made a couple since the square i believe which is currently playing but i think that's only 
a, uh, a licensed title, but his first three films uh, are available and they are in the uh, permanent streaming library because they open with both the Criterion Collection logo and the Janus Films logo. Mm -hmm. So unless they're gonna pull another trick on me, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say they are <laughs> permanent, okay? The first one was uh, the Mongoloid guitar. And uh, it was okay, but I can see it was uh, kind of, uh, Workman, you know, a young young yeah. person's film because he had made some short films, and uh, but I think he really hit his stride with his his second major, and that uh, was uh, involuntary, and then uh, and the peak of those three is play. It was released in 2011. And his films, if, you've, if you're familiar with his work, especially with Force Majeure, which was the one that introduced us, to, uh, most of us, to his work, you, you'll see a, a certain commonality between uh, those first four films, which really didn't follow over much into the square, a little bit pieces of it. But the square was more, uh, it was intended to be satire, and that was obvious. But with those first three films, you're not sure exactly what he's doing. And uh, it, it appears that what he, he takes... Uh, these actors or non-professional actors and he puts them in the situations and how much they are involved or create the work. I'm not sure. Uh, and he's never, I don't think he's ever come out and said exactly how he leads them in, in their, in their performances, but they do seem off the cuff. And I guess he, he then chooses to, he creates a narrative around that. Now, involuntary uh, felt like it was more scripted, but play went back to more of a, uh, seemed like more was more improvised and uh, but I do have to uh, kind of warn certain uh, warn your audience that these are not easy films to watch. They uh, yeah, uh, there's just an unease about you. It takes a lot uh, from you to watch certain things of, of human behavior that you can't control. You know, you're, you're watching these people and, 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 and the reality of the situation is, is so much that you're, you're screaming at them, say, don't do that, that, you know, you're making bad choices. That's that's stupid, you know, or, or why are you acting that way? You know, uh, especially in, in voluntary, uh, there were scenes that played upon certain men's actions and reactions that were based on their idea of machismo and, and they're not wanting to to trying to save face in front of the people around them and their, their, their partners. But play w went to a whole different level. It's, it was supposedly based on real events that happened in Sweden a few years before it was filmed. And uh, quite, it created quite a stir in Sweden. I don't want to say much too much about the actual plot because mm -hmm. it, uh, discovering uh, how it unfolds is, is one of the, the name of the, the film itself is a very large clue that I uh, that I overlooked as as I started watching it, and then eventually I realized you know just how the title came into play, and that wasn't a pun. But but uh, but <laughs> the film I want to recommend then is uh, Play, and then if you get a chance, watch the two earlier films. But those are permanent films, so we don't have to worry about them leaving soon. Have you seen anything by Oslin? Uh, I have just seen The Square. So okay. I need to dig into his other films. Uh, mm -hmm. Still need to see Force Majeure, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm very excited about the mm -hmm. the early works on the channel. So yeah, I'm very excited by that. And I recommend that uh, that if you just want to see one film, watch Play. But if you really want to see him him evolve as a filmmaker, you should start with The Guitar Mongoloid. Okay, that's really good. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. What have you got for us? Well, you know, as I've been looking through the, the, the list of stuff, 
and thinking through, you know, there are a lot of really incredible films on there. Um, mm-hmm. I've recommended many, you know, of the films by Oshima, by Claire Denis, by... Ken- Kenosha, I know you recommended a lot of his films. Yeah. And there's a lot, of, a lot of films to recommend. <laughs> I, I try to work my way through through Kenosha as, as frequently as I can. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a lot of Ozu on the channel. Um I've recommended some some Ackerman. I mean, we have so many really great things on there as well. Yeah. But I, I don't know that I've recommended a film that, that I think is one of the most heartbreaking and uh, one of the most uh, gorgeous and uh, just gut-wrenching films for me that I saw back uh, back when it first came out i think i saw it on on dvd when it uh, was originally released and uh, i'm really excited that janice and criterion now have have it and uh, we'll hopefully look forward to a physical release of it and uh that's adam agoyan's the sweet hereafter yeah, i think that this is uh an absolutely lovely film really heartbreaking based on the novel by russell banks this is a really stunning film. Uh, I think it's also a masterclass in adaptation and how you take uh, a work from one medium and transmute it into another without losing its power. And uh, it's the story of a bus crash that claimed the lives of uh, 14 children and it follows an, uh, a, a, a lawyer who travels around interviewing the families of the victims, the people involved. Uh, and throughout it, he's also haunted by his own relationship with his daughter, who is an addict. There are secrets in the town that don't necessarily come to light, but are revealed over the course of the film, uh, revealed to us, the audience, over the course of the film because of this tragedy. And the the film's quiet, it's patient, it is moving. Uh, this is a really, really beautiful, beautiful work about grief, about trauma, about loss. How do you, as a community, move forward in the face of such incredible loss? And uh, this is just a, a magnificent film filled with really stellar performances from everyone involved. Some of uh, Canada's great actors are in it. Uh, it also includes Ian Holm. This is, I just, I cannot recommend this film highly enough. And I think that this was my introduction to Adam McGoyan's work. And uh, I think that um, for anyone looking to dig into what the the permanent streaming library has to offer. I think that this is a, another great corner of uh, the the collection. Yeah, that's that's a prime choice. It's it was again. It, I believe I saw it also on DVD for the first time. Mm-hmm. I guess any theatrical run of it just kind of passed me by. But after mm-hmm. that, I did see Exotica in the theater because I was so impressed by uh, yeah. by this particular film, and that's also in the permanent library. But you're yeah. right, Ian Holmes' performance. Uh, 
I don't think he did better, anything better. And he's a great actor, yeah. but just yeah. uh, the 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 uh, nuances in his performances. Uh, there's certain scenes where the camera just it's right on his face, and everything mm-hmm. you need to know without a word being said is right there in his face. You know. But, yeah. But I, but I agree. It, yeah. it, it, everyone should watch it. Yeah. Sarah Polly, <laughs> who has become a really exceptional filmmaker in her yeah. own right is also in this uh, and you know she's fantastic bruce greenwood again the cast is really remarkable i still remember you know this was i believe this was nominated for a number of academy awards and after seeing this i really wanted to read the novel and the novel is written in such close uh point of view chapters uh and just seeing how Agoyan and his uh, his wife, who helped with the adaptation, seeing how they took something that 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 should have have shouldn't have been adapted, you know, uh, that, that feels like it couldn't have been adapted for film, mm-hmm. right. and how they found their entry point in through the Ian Holm character. It really is a, a great lesson in finding an, an alternate approach for taking. Uh, a work that belongs in literature and then transmuting it for cinema. And uh, yeah, I think this is a, a great film that, again, I'm glad that it hasn't been lost to, mm. you know, the, it's it was a, a, 90, a, a 90s film that so many of those are now kind of sitting in vaults that don't have, mm. you know, they aren't they aren't being released. They aren't. Mm-hmm. They aren't on streaming services. They aren't getting uh, as much of the attention that I think they deserve. And I'm really glad that Criterion has it. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed we'll get a physical release because it it very much deserves it. You know, it's. Yeah. I also read the novel after seeing the film, and and I was just blown away by how Egoyan was able to make an Adam Egoyan film from mm-hmm. a work that is so personal. And was able yeah. to to have keep the author's voice and his own, because it wasn't yeah. until after I saw this, and it, it wasn't until a few years ago I saw his earlier films, which also showed up on the Criterion Channel. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, Sweet Hereafter really falls in with all of it, the films that came before as well. I didn't see, yeah. I haven't seen much of Egoyan's films since then, but 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 it seems like uh, there was a progression there, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, how he was able to keep his own voice at the same time. Uh, adapting someone else's novel uh, was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, those are two recommendations for films that are in the permanent streaming library. That is play by Ruben Osland and the sweet hereafter by Adam McGoyan and Michael, you know, I, I really enjoy also having us, talk about the films that we enjoy on other streaming services. I know that you're primarily a Criterion channel person, but I know that you've, you just mentioned that you have reactivated Ovid and uh, it sounds like you're reactivating a couple of other streaming services. So what are you excited to recommend on uh, something other than the Criterion channel? (laughs) Yeah, I reactivated a movie. They had a great deal, I think around Christmas time. And it was just I, I couldn't pass it up, especially yeah. when I saw that some of the films that were coming there. Movie uh, really either they bring in on films that they actually have a hand in producing because I know mm-hmm. they're they're really becoming a production company as well as a streaming company. It's almost like they uh, they they were going through the kind mm-hmm. of the steps that Netflix kind of yeah. chartered. The film is called What Do We See When We Look at the Sky. 
the film's length is almost as long as the title. <laughs> no, it's it's over <laughs> it's over two and a half hours long, but uh, but but you know, maybe it could have been shorter. Maybe we could cut out a few minutes here and there, but uh, but overall, it, it's just a, a glorious film to watch. It's mm. it's a, it's a love story. It's uh, it has touches. Well, it has bucket loads of of magic realism. <laughs> uh, it's it's set in the country of Georgia, which is uh. The, the director Alexander Kobaritsi, his home country, but it's set in a in a town uh, that is not his own hometown. It's uh, it sounds the town is Kutasi, and what I learned later because it was it was such a brilliant portrayal of this town and its people. I had to do a little research, and I discovered it's one of the uh, longest settled uh, human developments in the world. It's, you know, mm. been, people have been living on this river for for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it it's you know it's a love story about these two people. It's also a love story about the city, and any question about how long it is, you know, is can be answered by one little short scene in the middle and right before there's a uh, there's an intermission, and it, you have a bunch of kids in the schoolyard playing soccer, and and it goes on for five, seven, ten minutes. I don't know, but the but the but the moment <laughs> came on. You you you, I, you just. I sat there and I watched it with so much joy, just watching this one scene, which has nothing at all to do with the plot, you know. So, uh, so you, you really get immersed into the into the story. Uh, in this case, it's about a couple who meet and they uh, and then they part and then they meet again. They figure, oh, there must be something about this. We probably we need to, you know, see whether or not there's a connection between us. And they make arrangements to meet at a bar the next night. And the world says no, we can't. We can't let them do that. That was too easy. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so, so there's this. They kind of fall into this curse, which which means that, uh, and each of them isn't aware of what the, the other one also has the same curse. But they awaken the next morning before they're supposed to meet, and uh, they're in a different body. And also, uh, not only do their bodies change, but certain aspects of their uh, their physical abilities or mental mental abilities also change for instance the girl is a med student and all of a sudden she forgets you know she can't she can't keep up with her lessons and the and the guy is a soccer player and he can't kick a ball anymore but uh they wind up together working at this small bar and they don't know it and each of them is 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 wondering why the other one didn't show up they know why they didn't recognize themselves Mm -hmm. but they thought that the other person would recognize would somehow he could they'd be able to recognize the other person and explain what happened but when both of them changed neither one of them is aware that of this situation but it but it, it's it's a cute film it's it's very immersive in in telling the, their story and the people around them and, and a lot of different characters you know you have dogs meeting to go watch the the, the, the world cup you know <laughs> Mm. So it's that kind of film, and I, 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 I'm looking forward to several of his other films, his earlier films. They're uh, also on movie, so uh, that that's my choice. That sounds like a, a great one. It's yeah. on my list. I've added it to my my uh, movie queue already, so yeah, uh, I yeah. might have to prioritize <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, soon. and it's a it's yeah. a 2021 film, so it's very recent, and it, it's, yeah. it's streaming now on movie. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. What you got for us, Josh? Well, you know, I I watched the film that I I'm going to recommend uh, during my International Documentary Association screening series, and it is now streaming on Paramount Plus. And you know, I, it's something that you know I think Paramount Plus is a one of those services that I think a lot of I think a lot of us have maybe dismissed this service 
as uh, inessential or as maybe as uh, as a service that is on the lower tier. Well, it's just a, the, it's an uh, overload of, of new services. They all yeah, came out together is. around the same time. I know. And That's at a right. certain point, you can say, you know, are we getting back to the to the met to like the old cable method? And we're, but exactly. we're having to pay for every channel separately. So yeah, I I, yeah, I, I understand it's, how uh, Paramount can be overlooked. Yeah, it's it's one and it's one of those ones that I think because because the marketing for it focuses so heavily on live TV and on the the lesser offerings of the service mm -hmm. on you know uh, Nickelodeon for the kids uh, you know I enjoy the Star Trek the new Star Trek series I think it's fun so you know it's got some stuff like that that's that's great but it's got some really really compelling documentary content on there that mm -hmm. is really striking. Something that I watched just a few days ago, uh, it, it was one of the shortlisted documentaries, and it's the latest uh, film by Christine Turner, oh, who yeah. she, you know, was featured on the channel with yes. a really great collection of shorts, great and her latest is, was called uh, Lynching Postcards, and it's a really compelling short documentary about the history of these lynching postcards, these really uh, oh. horrific artifacts and speaks with black scholars about what these these artifacts mean and and where all of these things are actually coming from, which is is shocking to me, is from MTV documentaries. Oh. Uh, the oh. the head of MTV documentaries is just fantastic and is buying some of the great documentaries that are being produced right now short documentaries mm -hmm. long form documentary content and uh these are all getting put up on paramount plus and so you're getting some really incredible work oh yeah uh viacom owns both mtv and yeah. paramount so that's why yeah i guess that is could be a good home for them I, yeah. I think also we're seeing a lot of documentaries on all the services because maybe they're probably yep. a lot cheaper to buy than than mm -hmm. than fiction i'm not and sure I, yeah. I, and I think they drive content. They drive, yeah, or they drive yeah. um, uh, uh, subscribers, and people yeah. are looking for these types of things. Uh, they drive awards. You know, people. Uh, I, so there, there's, there's a yeah. monetary reason for this. But the mm -hmm. the fact is that I've seen some really great short documentaries and and long form documentaries on uh, Paramount Plus, uh, the seventy six days documentary about the. Uh, the lockdown in Wuhan is on uh, Paramount Plus. So again, some really great stuff there. But uh, the one I'm going to talk about for real is Ascension. Um, it's uh, nominated this year for Best Documentary. It's directed by Jessica Kingdon, and it is a a documentary about the the rise of the Chinese dream. And the 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 rise of China's economic prosperity, and it, there's no talking heads. There are no title cards except at the beginning and end of the film, which is just a excerpts from a poem. It's a, a, a just a really remarkable work of visual poetic filmmaking. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's not the same kind of just strict observational work that you get in something from from some of the you know the the straight cinema verite uh, filmmakers, but there's more of a, a poetry to it. Uh, the the ways that she will cut between sequences, they're they're matched on movement and color and form. It's not quite a uh, koinakatsi, not quite in that that form, but it is um, very much getting you to think about um, the ways in which industry and the ways in which we as Americans rely on those industries, the ways in which capitalism is uh, driving the class differences in China. You see the ways that uh, factory workers are treated. You see the ways that uh, the exploitation of labor happens there. And then you see the schools where people are training to become butlers people are training to become western style butlers or people are trained to become security guards the ways they're trying to capitalize on western ideals of wealth and prosperity or uh, trying to use their leisure time uh, then you see the the real uh, wealth and the the ultra rich and you have these incredible kind of marriages of images throughout and uh, it's just a really striking film that I think is just incredible that uh, I think is really, really worth uh, catching and really worth uh, watching. Sounds fascinating. Uh, it appears that the Chinese dream is just as false a narrative as the American dream. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, there are some really, really just compelling images throughout that I found it endlessly fascinating, and uh, yeah, I cannot recommend this one highly enough. Yeah, this was good. Okay. Is she uh, Chinese or Chinese-American? She's uh, Chinese-American. Okay, all right. So she's from here, from uh, everything that I know. It seemed like she was giving access to a lot of areas Mm -hmm. that perhaps an American filmmaker probably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get a chance to, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I did read a, uh, I, I listened to an interview with her recently and she talked about how, because the film wasn't blatantly political, uh, okay. she had a lot of access to places that, that wouldn't normally allow her to go in. Right. And, and it also allowed her to to just be able to film in so many places. The the concerns that a lot of people had were that they might that she might try to shake them down for money, oh, wow. or that that she was going to be spying on them for comp, uh, for the competition. And, and that so. comes through uh, as far as the images. Uh, I suppose it sounds kind of like Frederick Wiseman who. Who comes in? He doesn't. He creates a narrative by editing. Yeah. He's not leading you uh, to a certain way, except through his editing. You know, it's yeah. almost. And he and he admits. Uh, I suppose she does too. She is creating a narrative through her editing, and mm-hmm. and maybe uh, the the Chinese who maybe oversaw what she was doing had no idea what she's going to actually do with the material that she shot. Yeah. Yeah, and because she's she's doing essentially vignettes, 
Okay. So it's, you know, you spend a little bit of time in a factory here, you spend a little bit of time in a factory here, uh, and it really does trace the the idea of what does upward mobility look like in China, or what does the dream of upward mobility look like? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's fascinating. I found it just endlessly compelling. Um, yeah, I'd love to well, see it. Uh, right now, I'm, yeah. I'm just not in the mood to get to another no. streaming service, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it's popularity and it's uh, award nominations will, will make it available to other people. You know, yes. just as we spoke yeah. before the show about Coda, a film that's only on Apple. Sometimes these exclusive deals mm-hmm. kind of restricts it. And I guess it, it's, it's there. So that people, you know, will kind of make a choice about, you know, adding, putting another five or $10 uh, service to, to their, to their uh, streaming. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Good well, recommendation. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's it to me is is part of what what makes a service like this stand out from some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you for uh, for joining me today. This has been uh, this has been fun as always. Yeah. It's always been been a fat, great time. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Looking forward to our next time. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. excited to check in with you in April to yeah. talk about the state of the channel. All right. Getting yeah. ready, prepared, and I got my spreadsheet all got my spreadsheet all spread out. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, uh, Michael, where can people find you online? I am on Facebook in uh, a couple of groups, uh, the uh, Criterion Channel Club and also in Criterion Now. Also have a lot of lists on Letterbox, which uh, Josh will probably link to in the notes, so you can check them out there. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, again, Michael, thank you so much. This has been great. And same here, Josh. Anytime. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at criterioncast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash criterioncast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported. So please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss on a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to thank all of our regular Patreon supporters. Your support really does mean so much. Thank you. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing... Michael Hutchins returns to discuss the state of the Criterion Channel. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, 
a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.